this is the third in the series of Dynamic Kingdom. Um, it kind of stands alone, but I just want to remind you kind of how we've got here from the, the stuff that we've been looking at uh, and where we're going. Uh, you remember we had a really strong word at the start of this year about going, going out, making a difference. And one of the things that we've been learning to do over the summer was about hearing God, how to hear God and how to flow and just do the things that we hear the Father saying to us and the things that we see the Father doing. So that was the background. That led into this series. And part of this series is kind of an, an understanding of the journey that God's had us on in terms of how we implement that word to go. Not just going as a church, but primarily going as individuals. And uh, surprisingly, you know, I shared on this last week, so I'm not going to share it again, but it's just to get everybody up to date. What that's led us to do is initially to go and sit in coffee shops and see what the Holy Spirit did and let him sort of make connections and so on. And as a result of going with what the Holy Spirit said, we've ended up uh, from Faith Life planting five churches. And those churches currently have somewhere between 225 and 250 people in them and didn't exist at this time last year. And I'm expecting God to do even more because I, I believe that God wants to bring change to his church and change to the way we, we see him move in our land. And I opened this series really by talking about how we've adopted an approach which is to uh, basically gather as many people into as big a groupings as we can and hide them in walls and entertain ourselves within those walls. And the result of that is that when we take it, look at it from not a church perspective, to, but look at it from an outside perspective, the result of it is we have given up our land and the enemy is not just content with the land, but now he's started battering down the walls of the church and he wants in. And you remember I talked about that. So that's, that's where, where we're about. And um, we started with this idea, and I'll just remind you of it. Jesus comes to his disciples and he says, um, who are people saying I am? And they all have great ideas about who Jesus is. But then he turns the question and makes it hard. And he says, who do you say I am? And remember that what, what we, we concluded from that is that the picture that we have in our hearts and in our minds of Jesus actually determines the way we go about doing church and the way we relate to Jesus. And, um, and it, in a sense, it determines what we believe. So if we've got an intellectual Jesus who's the teacher, we end up with an intellectually orientated, knowledge-accumulating approach to our Christianity. If we, if we have a, a, a Jesus who's angry with us all the time because of we, we, we fail at things, then we have a fear-built church and a fear-built walk. But what we actually have is Jesus who's won a victory, a complete victory. He's a, he, he's a God of power and he's entrusted us with that power. And that changes the way you do church. And he tells us to go. He tells us to reach out to those who don't yet know him. And here's the point of reaching out to those people. 
not to get them to come to church. The point of reaching out to people is to give them such a big picture of Jesus that it totally transforms their lives. And sometimes we talk about church, we talk about, you know, uh, programs and discipleship and training and Bible studies and, and we've got all our own jargon. And what we often forget to do is to give people this picture of this incredible saviour who we have, who laid down his life for us. And um, one of the things that, that God was saying to us as elders and leaders, uh, you know, about 18 months ago or more, was that what he's about is... Um, creating not just something that will add people to a particular church, but about creating a movement that actually spreads. And so that's what we're looking for God to do. And the only way that will happen is by following the Holy Spirit. And the reason for that is, despite what we've tried to do, it's actually Jesus' responsibility for building his church. It's our responsibility to do what we hear, but it's his responsibility for building his church. So are you with me on that? So that was kind of week one of this series. So here's the principles that come out of that. Only by elevating Jesus, only by putting Jesus right at the center, talking about Jesus, glorifying Jesus, dwelling on Jesus' beauty and power and strength and authority, only by doing that can a movement start. Because it's his job to build the church. And here's the second thing. that We are trying to make disciples, not simply to get decisions. And that's, that's massive. I'm not interested. Well, I am kind of interested as a first step in somebody filling a card out and saying they become a Christian. But if I never see them again and we never see them again, that's not terribly helpful. The, the standard isn't getting somebody to fill a card out. The standard is making disciples. And so we want to make disciples. And you remember one thing I said last week is that we've made it very, very difficult to do church without a lot of money, a lot of resource, a lot of people, a lot of lights and a lot of everything else. And perhaps a bit of social media marketing combined. And so we've made it really hard to put on meetings because we set the bar much higher. But in the, the corollary of that is what we've done is we've lowered our expectations of what it means to be a disciple. Now, the norm is that you people would regard themselves as a disciple of Christ and as a church member if they go to church once or twice a month maximum and never do anything else. That is the common perception. That's not me saying it, that's research saying it. That is the new norm for what people believe it means to be a disciple of Christ. And then we sit and we go, isn't our world a terrible place? Our world is the result of 20 to 30 years of failure on behalf of the church to reach the people outside the church because we were so concentrating on building our church. We are responsible for our society. God gave us authority and responsible for our kingdom and his kingdom. So what we see inside is a reflection of what we have done. Sorry, what we see outside is a reflection of what we've done. 
And so then last week we, we moved on and we looked at the parable of the sower and what that means for discipleship and what it means for reaching people and what it means for the things that we do. And we concluded that a lot of the things we do that we think we're failing at are actually successes. And that's the paradigm of the kingdom. So, for instance, when we, we, we reach out to people, we're enthusiastic, we bid on an evangelism trading course, we decide we're going to talk to one or two people, and we talk to two, three people, and we get absolutely nowhere, we get stonewalled and all the rest of it, we think, I am no good at this evangelism thing. I'm no good at reaching people. When the truth is, we have a massive success because we have done what Jesus told us to do. And heaven is applauding us while we are kicking ourselves. You see, what we've done is we've encountered hard ground. And we have to keep going and scattering seed and sowing until we find some good ground. We can't tell where that good ground is. And so our job is to sow seed. If we sow seed, we're a success in God's eyes. We are not responsible for convicting people and bringing them to Christ. That is the Holy Spirit's job. So the Holy Spirit needs to do his job, and we scatter seed, which is our job. And we don't let the enemy put us off. Okay, so does that bring everybody up to speed? Okay, let's move on now, because I want to get into some uh, diff slightly different principles. And you'll see right at the end of this where I'm going with it. Well, you'll see where I'm going with it all along, but you'll see what we're going to do about it. I'm going to go to Matthew chapter 13. And it's a, it's a really short little parable. Another parable he put forth to them saying, it's another kingdom parable, because if you remember, Jesus is training us, as he trained the disciples, in how to get the kingdom to work for us. If we want to get the kingdom to work for us, we have to understand how it works. Matthew chapter 13. Another parable he put forth to them saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which is indeed the least of all the seeds. But when it's grown, it is greater than the herbs and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. Another parable he spoke to them. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till it was all leavened. Okay, so what's that all about? Let me just draw some quick conclusions from that, some quick pointers. At its very basic level, what Jesus is telling them is that this, the way the kingdom works is in whatever we see that is kingdom, it starts small. Starts in small beginnings. And he's trying to encourage his disciples not to get disillusioned and discouraged because the beginnings are small. And so what he's also trying to tell us is if we plant the right kind of seed, the, and I'm going to use a slightly different word today, DNA, if we plant the right kind of DNA in that small beginning, then growth is inevitable. 
When we don't see growth, it's probably because we haven't understood either how the kingdom works or we've been planting the wrong DNA. So if we plant, the, Jesus is saying, if you plant the right kind of DNA, the right kind of seed, growth is inevi- inevitable. Because that's how I've designed the kingdom. And that, that, that might not be how we've experienced it or how we've seen it, but our our walk is to get our experience up to the level of what Jesus says is in his word, not bring the word down to our experience and say it doesn't work. So we have to go with what he's saying. And he's saying, you gotta, it's, big things start small. And the important thing isn't the size of what happens. The important thing is that you're planting the right DNA. Therefore, it's critical that we get the beginnings right. That we get the beginnings, not just of of church plants or outreaches right, but that we get the beginnings right for every single believer. And we do that as early as possible in their walk with Christ. We, we, We plant that DNA. We've got to get the beginnings right. And, and too often, we've, we've concentrated on trying to produce somebody who can do something in church. Whereas the, the beginnings would say, we start by planting the right things in that person's heart, and Jesus takes the rest and produces the kingdom out of what's planted in the heart. My conclusion of that is that we need to have high expectations of everybody who comes to Christ, not low expectations. Are you saying, well, of course we've got high expectations. Here's the thing. I don't think we do. I think we think we need to train people for five to ten years so they can answer every single question they might possibly get because they're not capable and not trained enough to do anything for the kingdom. And as a result, we spend five years putting out chairs and doing other stuff when actually the kingdom is out there. And I I think we've got an expectation that we can't trust anybody out there in case they give somebody the wrong answer on some obscure question. And that's crazy. And, And more than that, We've now assumed that's the way it is. That actually, I don't know anything. I'm not capable of anything. It's all down to Pastor Mark and Cheryl. Because they're the guys we pay to do this stuff. No, you pay me to listen to God and then pass on what I hear. That's what you pay a pastor for. And to speak that into your life and call forth from your life what God's put into you. That's what you pay for. You know, that, that, that's why you help me do not starve to death, so that I can carry on doing that. Okay, so if we're talking about having high expectations of discipleship, I want to ask you a question, because this is kind of the first question I asked for when God was taking me through this process as he was speaking to me. I say, uh, this is the question. God, if you want me to raise the bar on what it means to be a disciple, what does the bar look like? What do, what, what does it, what's the hallmark? What's the, the, the determining thing that says somebody is a disciple of Jesus? Now, okay, so 
And the other original answer and the obvious answer is that you've given your life to Christ or you become a Christian, however you want to phrase it. By the way, those two are different. There shouldn't be, but sometimes we call ourselves Christians, but we haven't really given him our life. We've joined a club, and the two are different. But let's assume that you've got what it means, you've given him your life. What is the hallmark, what is the, the determining factor of a mature disciple? Because that's what I'm asking God. If, if you want us as uh, apostles, pa- uh, prophets, teachers, evangelists, and pastors to equip the saints for the works of ministry, and the works of ministry out there, not in here, what is, how do I tell if you've said, till we, all, till, till we all reach maturity, the full stature of God, how do I know what is, whether I'm doing well or not in that, that, that assignment? How do you know wh- whether you're doing well of that or not? What are you aiming for? Because we all have different ideas of what we're aiming for in our work with Christ. And for many of us, particularly in the West, that is equated to information and knowledge and behavior modification. So what are we aiming for? Let me go to another kingdom parable, uh, Matthew chapter 21. Um, I'm going to begin at verse uh, 28. Jesus is talking to uh, people and he's saying, what is it that, that makes somebody, somebody that God is pleased with? I don't mean somebody that God accepts, but somebody that he's um, actually being a disciple, actually doing it. And, and he tells his story. He says, what do you think? So here's my question. What do you think? Same as Jesus is asking you. What do you think? A man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, son, go work today in the venue. Note the sons. They're, they're both, both in the family, both in the, the, the kingdom family. Two sons. Son, go to work today in my vineyard. He answered and said, I will not. But afterwards, he regretted it and went. Then he came to his second son, and and he said likewise, and he answered and said, I'll go, sir. But he didn't go. Which of the two did the will of his father? And they said to him, the first. The one who said, I'm not going to do it, and did it. Not the one who put the hand up, volunteered for everything, was very enthusiastic, and never, ever did anything. Remember, we're talking about the king. I'm not talking about serving in church. Mind you, if, every, if all of you want to put your hand up to do some more, that's, that's cool. But I'm not talking about I'm talking about the kingdom and, and what we do in the kingdom. And, and Jesus is saying that... the. It's not what comes out of your mouth, it's what you actually do. So here's what I felt God said to me. The mark of a disciple, what makes somebody a disciple as opposed to somebody who is just around Jesus is obedience. Now that's kind of a word we don't like, isn't it? I remember, like as a teenager, I definitely didn't like that word. So obedience. Because what Jesus is saying here is obedience isn't just verbal assent to something. It's not just shouting out loud with the crowd. 
obedience actually has to include obeying in action. So Jesus is saying, I love those who say yes, and I'm helping those who say no. But what I'm really after is those who say yes and do yes. What I'm really after is those who say yes and do yes. So this is the question. Obedience to what? Because the minute we start saying obedience, we think rules, law, traditions, religion, and all the rest of it. So obedience to what? If I'm saying the mark of a disciple is obedience, obedience to what? Given where we've been, we should be able to answer that fairly quickly. Here's what Je- how Jesus led through that process with his disciples. Jesus said, make disciples of all the nations and teach them to obey all that I commanded. Here's how people read that and have read it for generations in churches across the Western world and probably the rest of the world. Make disciples of all the nations and teach them to obey all the rules. That's not what Jesus said. He's not talking about Old Testament law. We have to read what's said. Jesus said, teach them to obey all that I commanded. What did Jesus command? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then he added a third one, didn't he? Love one another as I have loved you. And then he said, and go into all the world and make disciples and teach them those things. Tell them about me and teach them those things. And how do we do that? That, That's our obedience to go and do that. But how do we do that? And we've looked at this verse over and over again. So I'm not going to do it again today. But... When we, when we get into Romans, we find that what Paul says in Romans is that our obedience is not to a written set of rules or a written set of methods or anything like that. Our obedience as New Covenant believers is to the promptings of the Spirit. And, it, and it's, you know, it, it's part of the, the maturity of the disciple to be able to hear the promptings of the Spirit and do what we hear. We've got to hear and do what we hear. That's a mature disciple because we're responding not to rules and regulations, but we're responding to the spirit of Christ as he is working out his plans in us and through us. And when we respond in that way, he will do more through us uh, than we could ever ask or imagine because his power begins working in us. And, and so that, that, that's why this is so important. It's so important that we are not talking about law and rules and regulations and religious traditions and all the other stuff. We're talking about hearing God's voice and responding. That's what's a mature, grown-up disciple. That's what making disciples is about. So where do we start? Where do we start with a, with a movement like that? Where do we start? Where have we started with these church plants that we've done? Where, where are we starting with the, the churches that, where we, we help them and encourage them and mentor them even though we didn't plant them? Where do we start? Here's what Jesus says, because sometimes we can, we can start at a point that isn't actually the right one. 
Here's what it said. Jesus said to them, this is again, I'm going back to Matthew 13, verse 32. Jesus said to them, therefore, every scribe who has become a disciple of the kingdom of heaven is like the head of a household who brings out of his treasure things new and old. Every scribe who's become a disciple brings out treasure new and old. What's he saying? He's saying, everybody who's been walking with me for years and taking my word seriously, when you get on fire for this, when you start hearing my voice, when you start running after me, when you start being filled with my spirit and responding to my spirit, it starts a movement because all that stuff that I've deposited in believers starts a movement that touches unbelievers. Here's what we, here's what we sometimes think. And, it, and it, it, I, I think it's painful because I don't want you to understand any like wrong motives here. That's not what I'm about. But there are people all over this land who fill pews and seats and comfy seats every week and make absolutely no difference to the kingdom because nobody's ever taught them to hear God's voice. That The fire inside them is dulled down and they sit there watching somebody else do something every week and then say, I never get much out of church. Church isn't something to get much out of. Church is something to put much into as we tell the stories of the victories we've seen in the week. Sorry, am I upsetting you now? So here's the thing. A significant number of kingdom multipliers in the early church, and you you can see that this throughout Acts, if you study it carefully, were religious people. And those religious people were rescued out of their religious pew and their religious performance and shown Christ. And Christ set them on fire and they went and they changed the world. This is all about Christ. It's about capturing that vision of Christ that burns so much in our heart that we cannot but go. So, that's kind of my intro. But don't worry, it was a planned long intro. So how do we do this? I want you to go back to a word I used earlier. It's not a word, it's three letters. DNA. We are propagators of kingdom DNA. I don't know if you've ever thought that. You're a propagator of kingdom DNA. And I want us to understand what the, the Jesus teaches around kingdom DNA. And, and that was what made Paul's ministry so effective. Because Paul got a handle on this. And you might never have seen it because I'd never seen it. And I never heard anybody tell me any of this. And as soon, it's like one of those. As soon as you see it, it's obvious. And it's everywhere. And you go, I understand why Paul wrote his letters the way he did. So let me, let me start with this, this, this principle. If we want to see 
New Testament kingdom results, we have to splice or put in New Testament DNA into every believer. It's a DNA transformation. So let me just take you back, because that might sound a little bit confusing. What do you mean, splicing in DNA? Well, fear not. The Lord is with us, and I'm going to explain it. Okay, here's what I mean by this DNA. How many of you know, who, apart from Susie, how, how many of you know what a zygote is? Susie's going, I don't know what a zygote is. <laughs> yes, you do. <laughs> how many of you know what a zygote is? Put your hand up. Anybody that works at Addenbrook should know what a zygote is, particularly if you're in maternity. No, okay. We've got, we've got a few people in Ozai. I'll, I'll tell you what zygote is. It's spelled Z-Y-G-O-T-E, or S if it's plural. And every single person in this room began life as a zygote. A zygote is the fertilized original cell that has the capability of dividing. And so we all begin looking like that. You began looking like that. That, that, is your, that could have been your very first photo. I don't see too many mums that have pictures like that, but I do see quite a lot that have it 12 or 13 weeks later when it's grown into, you know, into the embryo. But that's where life starts. That's a zygote. You're going like, why is he giving his maternity lessons? I'm going to get there. <laughs> DNA, cells, we're getting there. Okay. Now, each zygote contains in a single cell... Now, this is the important thing. All the information to produce a whole being. So in that cell is all the information to produce the baby. When you began life like that, that had all of you coded into it. That's cool, isn't it? Like a little thing you can't see except through like an electron microscope had all of you coded into it. And you're going like, that's, that's amazing. And some of you are going like, oh, could have coded it a bit differently, you know. Could have looked like that. I, I, obviously, one of the things I wanted was like that, that code where you're like tall and slim and you don't lose your hair. But it, it, maybe that was a little bit not coded properly. <laughs> but we all start there. And the thing that is coded in is this thing called DNA. And that DNA... What we're talking about, when we're talking about DNA, is we are talking about reproduction. This is the process of reproduction. Every This cell has everything in it to reproduce itself. I'm not talking about cloning. We're good at cloning in church. We ain't too good at reproduction in the Western world. Here's the difference. Cloning takes in an existing full-grown adult and says, let's take a bit of that adult and make them look like us. And then we all look the same. That's a really bad idea because you're never meant to look like anybody apart from Jesus. Instead, this says, let's take the kingdom DNA and use it to reproduce lots of different things. 
because ultimately that produces arms, legs, hearts, brains, all the rest of it. Jesus says we're all members of one body. So you're still with me? Still wondering why this I got up there? So here's my question. At what level, if we're talking about church life, at what level are we looking to have DNA? I've set you up for the answer. You should be able to get to the answer now. Pardon? At the every single cell. Absolutely every single cell. So we should have kingdom DNA in every single cell in this business building. Who's, who's, who's the DNA cell? John's got it. Put your hand up if you think you might be a zygote at this stage. You're getting your DNA. Every single believer should have kingdom DNA in them as their birthright. And the church is about helping that DNA reproduce. Here's what we've done. We've said, and you'll see when when I talk about it, that these facets of DNA, we have taken out of the single cellular level and put them into the church. So the church does these things and the church organizes these things and the church is responsible for these things and the church makes these things happen. That's not how DNA works. DNA works at a cell level, an individual level. The seed of the kingdom works at an individual level. So let me get to DNA. I'll tell you right up front, because I'm an honest sort of guy, I didn't think of this mnemonic, but it's a good mnemonic. I did fiddle about with it a bit, But I'm not taking credit for it. I can't remember who it came from. That's my problem. Um, I know know I've seen charts, but I don't think the the charts that I saw originated it. So what do we mean by DNA? And you'll see immediately it's a fudge. Okay, so I hold out pans. You think, Mark's fudged this. I have fudged it. But that's so you can remember it. Okay? You know, all these little things like letters that you remember. It's not because people... It naturally fell in that. It's because people like shoved it in. Well, this is kingdom DNA. And, you, and I'll show you actually what it looks like right at the end of this preach. Here's what kingdom DNA looks like. D. D is divine truth. Divine truth. So every, every believer has got to have this DNA if they're going to reproduce themselves. Divine truth about what? No, not about everything. But good try. Not about everything. We've tried to make sure everybody knows everything about everything. And if they don't know about everything about everything, let's have a Bible study where we can debate everything about everything. And honestly, we have multiple alternative answers that we argue about to questions that nobody ever asks outside our walls. That, you know, that, those footballers out, out there are not worried about once saved, always saved, predestination, election, and the rapture. They're not bothered. Because they never heard the words in the first place. But we can have whole programs devoted to teaching people on it, just in case one of them little kids grows up to ask you about predestination. 
We're not meant to have the answer for everything. We're meant to show Jesus to everyone. And so DNA, divine truth, is knowing who God is and knowing who he's made us to be and what that makes us capable of. Those are the things we need to major on. God's nature, God's character. Let, let, let Jesus fill our vision. And let him tell us who he made us to be and what he made us capable of. D. And not a lot else. I mean it, not a lot else. You're going like, but what if I get asked that? What is this? What about all that stuff that I've learned? What about all those books I've read? Well, well done. But here's the thing. Paul got a handle on this, and here's what he did. And I'll, I'll talk about this in a later preach, but I feel you need to know it now. Paul didn't answer everybody's questions or train them to answer everybody's questions. What he did is he led people to Christ, planted a church, moved on, and when questions came up, they wrote to him. <coughs> And Paul writes his letters answering the questions. That's why we get kind of confused when we, write, when we read Paul's letters and come up with all sorts of crazy ideas because we don't know the question. We, we don't step back and say, what question could Paul possibly have been answering when he wrote that? And so we, we, we take it that he's writing directly to the same sort of people we are now in the same sort of situation and that's a rule for everybody. Even when Paul says, that's not God, but it's, that's what I think, having thought about it. So Paul took that approach. We answer questions when they come up. You don't try and prepare in advance for all the questions. People are not necessarily interested in the question. They're interested in a saviour who changes their life. And they want to see that in us, a saviour who's changed our lives. Because change lives, change lives. Just try saying that. Change lives, change lives. And so that's what people are interested in. They're not too bothered about the answer to the question. They might think they are, but in reality, what they're after is the reality of Christ in us and shown through us. By this will all men know you, my disciples, not if you can answer every question, but if you love one another. People outside the church are more interested in whether we love each other than they are whether we've got the answer to all the questions. N. This is a biggie. This is, this is Cheryl's letter. I, 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 he's mine, but she's better at it than me. Natural relationship. This gets worked out within a family, within relationships. And you can't take relationships out of it. So the more we become functional as churches and organizations, the more we act contrary to the kingdom DNA. The more we become functional as organizations, the less we reflect kingdom DNA, which is organic. Kingdom DNA is organic. It's based in relationship. Our vision of Jesus, who he made us to be, and the 
And, and what we can do as a result of that has to be worked out in relationship. Relationships are absolutely vital in the kingdom. There isn't room for distant relationship as in hiding in a crowd listening to a performance. That's not what Jesus is talking about. Equally, there's not a great deal of room for sat in a coffee shop on my own on the internet watching a talk from somebody I've never ever met pretending I'm doing church. Relationship, encouragement, building each other up, being there for each other, speaking into each other's lives, calling forth from each other's lives what God has put in there. Absolutely vital. A, the big one that gets missed in many situations. And I was just talking about this a couple of weeks ago um, at the uh, Partners in Harvest Conference. A, apostolic mission. 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 Beyond the walls. The 110 hours a week where we're not asleep or at church. That's where it all plays out. And there's two aspects to this. There's warfare and witness. Warfare and witness. Say that. Warfare and witness. And what what does that mean? Well, that just reflects what Jesus said he came to do. I've come to destroy the works of the devil. And every single one of us with our DNA in us has come to destroy the works of the devil wherever we find them. The sort of things Neil was talking about this morning, where the enemy's stealing, killing, and destroying in our lives and in other people's lives. We come to bring that abundant life that Jesus came to give. That's warfare. And witness. We did a whole series on that at the start of the year. There's a test coming up in the next few weeks. What have you done with that series? What have you actually done as a result? Because it's not just saying yes, it's yes and do. So I don't, I don't just like come here for the good of my health. I come here because I believe that God wants to do something powerful through every single person in this room. But we need to do something with what we hear. It's not enough to just hear. It's not enough to just hear and say yes. Or it's not enough to just hear and say maybe one day. We actually have to do some things. Witness, making the gospel known. So let me just backtrack and you're going like, okay, where does he get these from? Well, at a very basic level, I could get it from uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind and all your strength. D. And love your neighbor as yourself. N, love your neighbor as yourself. Love one another as I loved you. Therefore, go and make disciples. A, go and make disciples. Teach them and to do all I commanded you. DNA. And you go, well, okay, show me. I could show you this same pattern from every single one of Paul's letters and Peter's letters. Here's, I'll, I'll, I'll do it quickly. Who wants like a comp- Should we do an entire Bible study on Ephesians this morning? 
I like Ephesians. It's a jolly book. It's not like it's not a grumpy book, is it? It's, it's kind of a much happier book. Ephesians. So D, divine truth, knowing about God and uh, knowing who you are in him. And you could start anywhere in the book of Ephesians because that's its big theme. But the, the, the core of it is that, that, that key passage that we have as a church that you would know, being rooted and grounded in love, you would know the height, depth, width, length, strength of the love of God. And when you do that, you'll be filled to all the fullness of Christ. When you know how, who God is, how much he loves you, how much love he's put in you, and what he's put in you, you will be filled to all the fullness of Christ. And you'll be unstoppable. Talking to you about who you now are, who he's made you to be. Put off that old, that old man who is dead, and put on the new. Put off that old man who is dead and put on the new. Be who you were recreated to be. Be your born-again person. Natural relationships. Being filled with the Spirit affects your attitudes and your relationships. And like the last two or three chapters of Ephesians are all about the way we relate to one another as Spirit-filled believers. Mission. Warfare. Stand and resist the enemy. Watch and pray for the enemy's activities. And defeat them. Witness. Make known the gospel. Make known the gospel. Now you can take any one of Paul's letters and do that. Just go and pick one this week and have a go. Right, so here we go. I'm just going to finish in a couple of minutes. So take a deep breath. Say, Matt's got two minutes to go. Matt never lies. Go and just say that. <laughs> two minutes to go. Well, two slides to go. If we're going to do this, how do we go down that path of changing the way we approach our um, church life and our own life in order to get into the hands of every single cell what they need to wage war and to be witnesses? Because if you're going to go to war, you need weapons. Now, I know you've all been given spiritual weapons, and the weapons of our warfare are not natural, but spiritual. So we need to get in your hands spiritual weapons. You already have all the spiritual weapons that you need in your hands and available to you. But what we've not been great at is actually making them usable. So I was talking to uh, the midweek group in Norwich, so it was its first meeting on Wednesday night, Cheryl and I went over to Norwich, and we were kind of absolutely blown away. It's a bit like the, the, the first meeting we turned up into Nor at Norwich, and we expected about 20 people out, and over 50 came, and, and they're still there. And, and so we, we turned up, and there was 23 people in this room hungry to get discipled, including a number of non-Christians. 
who, there's, there's one guy, he, he plays in a punk rock band. He's a, he's a really nice guy. He's just absolutely covered in tattoos. And uh, he plays in his punk rock band. And he's kind of been, he's got some background with God, but he's been distant. And his wife had walked away completely. And they came along on um, um, Wednesday night. And he sent this email in afterwards. And then she sent a separate email in afterwards. And the email, his email said this. He said, I have never heard anybody talk about any of this. And I have gone to my band and told them we either need to change band practice night, which is a Wednesday, or I'm out of the band because I'm not missing any of this. And his wife, who's walked away years ago, doesn't want anything to do with church, got dragged along by him. And she said, nobody has ever explained to me before what Jesus is like. And it broke my heart. And I'm coming back. That's what it's about. And so we need these weapons to break through into people's lives. So what do we do? Well, you might not like this word, but it's my word. We weaponize what we've got. We weaponize things. So we've got a lot of things that we've done over the years that are very powerful. But we want to make them able to be in every single cell. We want to weaponize those good things. So they're no longer about uh, me teaching it, or Nicola teaching it, or Roger and Olive teaching it. But everybody knows how to disciple another person. So, what's weaponization? Well, according to the Oxford Dictionary, it's this. The act of making something to, into a weapon or making it more effective as a weapon. You see, here's what we're doing. So you know that we've done this course called Rock Solid for years. Some, most of you have done it. Some of you haven't yet done it. Um, and you probably know, you've probably heard rumours in the background, especially a little teaser email that Jill sent out, that, that something's on its way. Well, what's on its way isn't the photocopied notes anymore. It's the book. And the book is currently with Amazon, and we'll have it here and shipped in about two or three weeks when it's printed. Okay, so it's printed. We've seen the sample. It's all ready to go. It'll be printed in two or three weeks. Now, that in itself is a big step forward. And whilst they didn't want to be mentioned in, in the book, Phil uh, Gardner and Linda Elwell put a massive effort into making that book possible. But they didn't want to be mentioned in the book. So I just thought, I told Phil I would, that didn't get him out of it. So I did it, I'll, I'll, I might mention it again. But they just did an incredible job of getting it there. And we've learned a lot through that process. Now, that's, that's good because that gets you a book. And you can read it for yourself and you can talk to other people and you can give them the book. You can buy extra copies, give them the book. But that doesn't really weaponize it to the extent I want it weaponizing. So what I've done is I've gone away and I've rewritten it all again in a form that is a workbook. 
The workbook isn't the book. The workbook is written so that you can sit next to somebody with nothing else apart from that book and you can talk through, you can go through that book one topic at a time, talking about your experiences, what Jesus has done in your life, how it works for you, what you know, what you've learned along the way, just around a tea, coffee table, whatever, one-on-one, one-on-two, every single person in this room will be able to do that. That's weaponization. And we're going to do that with a lot more things. So you're going, okay, well, that's, that's really, that's something new, but what do I do? Well, here's what you do. Towards the end of November, we're going to have a day where we're going to sit down and we're all going to see how that workbook works and how you can use it to disciple people one-on-one and one-on-two. It won't be a full day. It'll be a full day, but the idea is it's two half days. So if you've got kid issues or if you've got husband issues or if there's a particular football game on and you can't make both, you've got a choice of two. You've got two, two and a half hours in the morning, two and a half hours in the afternoon with lunch in the middle. So one part of a couple can come to one and one part of a couple can come to the other. That's the idea. But if we're going to take this seriously, we need absolutely everybody to make the effort of being there. Because we have to get it that we are the cells who are responsible for hearing the voice of God and reproducing ourselves in others. To do that, what, what we, we as leaders and, and, and so on, what we want to do is we want to try and create and develop things so that you can do everything that needs doing without having to haul anybody else in. We want to equip you to be the powerful person you are. So you, even if you can't visualize yourself doing that yet, you can do it. Can you have a cup of coffee with somebody? Do you know how to drink coffee? Those who were less worried about their waistlines, do you know how to eat a piece of cake? Yes. Yeah? So you can do this. How many people here have learnt to talk since they were born? Well, judging by that, not many of you. <laughs> Let's take it that you all learnt to talk at some stage of your life. If not, we'll pray for you. But if you can talk, you can do this. You do have conversations with people. So you can do this. So let's stand. So what we're going to do in a minute is we've got tea and coffee and there's the connect table and all the rest of it. But I'm just going to ask you to do something before you wander over to them. But first I'm going to pray for you. Father, I'm asking you to set our hearts on fire by your spirit. I'm asking you, Lord, that where our vision of you is too small, that you would fill our vision. I'm asking you, Lord, that where our confidence is low, you would just turn that around and show us that your confidence isn't. 
that your confidence isn't small and that you have confidence in us. So, Lord, I thank you. I thank you for all of this. And I pray, Lord, that you will start and continue this work and this journey that you've had us on. I thank you for that, Lord. Amen. So here's what I want you to do. Before you go and get your tea or coffee, so just a couple of minutes, I want you to sit back down and I want you to write on your pad, these are the big things that God's drawn to my attention this morning I need to pay attention to. These are the big things God's drawn to my attention this morning that I need to pay attention to. And if you haven't got a pad or you haven't got anything to write on, you probably just need to reach into your back pocket and get out your phone and make your notes on there. Because apparently that's, that, that's possible these days because we live in a world of miracles. Amen.